Chapter 25 A History of California, the Spanish Period. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 25 The Commandancy General of the Frontier Provinces. By 1776, the northwest coasts had been explored, Alta California placed on a permanent, though not very strong, basis by the success of Anza's second expedition and the founding of San Francisco. The Colorado Gila region had become well-known, Sinaloa had achieved a well-settled state, and Sonora seemed likely soon to do so. In that year, too, expeditions of Father Garces, and of fathers Dominguez and Velez de Escalante, had contributed, negatively at least, to the solution of Spain's problems in the Northwest Conquest. Garces had accompanied Anza to the junction of the Colorado and Gila, where he was to prepare the Yumas and other Indians in neighboring districts for the coming of missionaries and subjection to the Spanish ground. The first project of this indefatigable explorer was to visit the Indian tribes of the lower Colorado. This he did, descending the river to its mouth. Returning to the junction, he soon started north, up the Colorado, accompanied as usual by the Indian Terrabal. It then occurred to him that he might possibly find a better route to Monterey than the one across the Colorado desert. But, being unable to procure guides, he struck off instead toward San Gabriel. Going along the Mojave River and through the Cajon Pass, he was the first white man to traverse the route now followed by the Santa Fe Railroad. He remained at San Gabriel from March 24th to April 9th, 1776, when he made a fresh attempt to reach Monterey by an interior route. Proceeding through Tejon Pass to the vicinity of Bakersfield, he went on nearly to Tulare Lake. Here he turned back and made for the Colorado at the point where he had left it, going probably through Tehachapi Pass. Once again, he was blazing the trail for the Santa Fe, but he did not stop at the Colorado. Instead, he resolved to attempt another of his favorite projects, to reach Moki from the west. By July 2nd, this tireless explorer had accomplished his object. As others had reached Moki from the New Mexico side, this proved the existence of a route from Santa Fe to Monterey. Clearly, however, the route was too long and difficult to compete in usefulness with the one Anza had discovered. Retracing his steps, Garces reached his mission of Bach on September 17th. At about the same time, Francisco Dominguez and Silvestre Vélez de Escalante two Franciscans of New Mexico, headed a party which went northwest from Santa Fe in the hope of finding the much-desired better route to Monterey. Leaving on July 29, 1776, they at length reached northern Utah, whence they turned northwest. Finding no indication of a route, or no tradition of one among the natives, they returned to Santa Fe, arriving on January 2, 1777. Unquestionably, therefore, the Spanish line of effort lay along the Anza route, and centered strategically at the junction of the two great rivers, though some hopes were still entertained that a good route might be found from Santa Fe. The route from Sonora to the Alta California coast had its share of geographical difficulties, including the Colorado Desert, 
but Anza had amply proved that they were not insurmountable. By far the most serious obstacle was the Colorado River, the passage of which was inextricably interwoven with what was, after all, the principal consideration in Spanish journeyings between Sonora and Alta California, the relations of the Spaniards with the Yumas. Anza's search for a ford in 1775 has already been related. The problem of the Colorado was even better illustrated by the incidents occurring at the time of his return in 1776. This time he got to the river in June, when the Colorado was high and swift. Though he now had but ten soldiers with him, with few effects, it took him two full days and parts of two others to get across, despite the fact that he had rafts at his disposal and the assistance of several hundred expert Yuma swimmers. Commenting upon this, Anza wrote in his official diary, quote, On another occasion I have said that if the peoples who dwell along this great river are attached to us, we shall effect its passage without excessive labor, and that if they are not, it will be almost impossible to do so. End quote. Thus Anza, if indeed he continued to overestimate the constancy of Yuma friendship, made it perfectly clear that a good disposition of the Yumas toward the Spaniards was a prerequisite to any effective use of the route. Bucareli grasped this fact and probably understood the Indian situation better than Anza himself. There was a need for haste before the ardor of the Yumas should cool. In season and out, Father Garces had been recommending the establishment of presidios and missions not only at the junction of the Colorado and Gila, but also at various other sites along the Gila. In March 1775, in conjunction with Father Diaz, he prepared a long memorial in favor of this plan, pointing out that it could be put into effect at slight cost through a judicious shifting of presidial forces. Among the advantages, in addition to the temporal and spiritual conquest of the Gila country, were the prospects afforded of providing an effective defense on the Sonora frontier against the Apaches, protecting the Anza route to Monterey, and developing a base for the discovery of new routes to both Alta California and New Mexico. Hugo O'Connor, commandant inspector and virtual ruler under Bucareli of the entire frontier, favored the project and recommended the adoption of Garcesa's suggestion to suppress the presidios of Horcasitas and Buena Vista in southern Sonora, where at the time there was little to do, and transfer them to the Gila and Colorado. Other leading officials gave similar opinions, and Bucareli himself was impressed by the plan. He therefore procured authority from Spain to go ahead with it at the proper season but meanwhile awaited the outcome of the second Anza expedition. Upon his return from Alta California in 1776, Anza proceeded to Mexico City, taking with him Salvador Palma and several other Yuma chieftains. During their stay at the capital, many attentions and honors were heaped upon these savages from the north, and they in turn begged earnestly for the establishment of missions among them. This was the time, if any, to strike. The imperative necessity was well expressed by Father Garces. I am of the opinion, he said, 
that if the matter of missions on the Gila and Colorado is allowed to cool, there is a danger that all will be lost and that the Yumas may be the first to enter a league. Bucarelli was prepared to act at once, for he held the same views and expressed himself to that effect on various occasions. Just at the vital moment his hand was withstayed, for late in 1776 the new government of the frontier provinces was created apart from the viceroyalty and independent of his control. In January 1776, Julian de Arriaga died, and his place as Minister General of the Indies was shortly afterward granted to José de Galvez, now become the Marques de Sonora. Galvez set about at once to erect the Commandancy General of the Frontier Provinces which he himself had planned in 1768. The entire frontier, including the salience of the Californias, New Mexico, and Texas, was comprised in the new government, which was to be independent of the Viceroy. As might have been expected of Galvez, the whole document establishing this change displayed marked interest in the Californias, of the strategical importance of which the Minister-General was fully aware. Indeed, a continuance of the northwestward advance was almost the basic idea of the document. The capital was to be at Arispe, Sonora, because that post lay midway between Nueva Vizcaya and the Californias, though far to the west of the geographical center of the new commandancy. The preservation, development, and advancement of Alta California were specifically alluded to as important in the service of God and the King, wherefore the Commandant-General was ordered to visit that province as soon as possible and to secure its line of communications with Sonora. Orders were also given to send more settlers and cattle there and anything else that might be needed to aid in its development and protection. It is worthy of comment that the Pacific province alone received extended notice in the royal decree. Whole paragraphs dealt with Alta California, while not a line referred exclusively to Nueva Vizcaya and the provinces of the east. Furthermore, in later decrees, Galvez repeatedly ordered the Commandant-General to give his attention to the Californias. Of such a tenor was his letter on March 6, 1779, in which he said, quote, His Majesty orders me to reiterate to Your Excellency the charge that you view those establishments, the Californias, but more particularly Alta California, with a preference and attention which their importance merits, unquote. Since San Blas lay well within the viceroyalty, Galvez called upon Bucareli to continue his handling of the supply ships, for the minister-general realized that their services to the Californias could not yet be dispensed with. The decree just described was dated August 22, 1776, but it was not until the following January that it was possible to put it into effect. The plan itself was commendable and in line with the needs of the situation, but it necessarily meant the postponement of action which Bucareli was about to take, since he no longer had jurisdiction. All would have been well if Galvez had made a wise selection for the post of Commandant-General. He chose to appoint one of his own satellites, 
who neither at the time nor thereafter grasped the importance of the movement which galvez himself had started and bucareli carried on the full effect of their efforts was to be lost through the mistakes of galvez's appointee teodoro de croix the first commandant general was a nephew of the marques de croix the former viceroy he had been employed by galvez during the latter's residence in new spain and seems to have displayed some ability in his capacity as a subordinate carrying out specific orders his competence was to show forth in somewhat similar fashion in his management of the frontier the affairs of texas which province he visited in person at the outset of his administration he took care of with considerable skill in later life too he seems to have been a moderately successful viceroy of peru at a time when there were few grave problems to solve nevertheless there seems to be little if any reason to modify the following characterization made of him in a recent work Quote, serious-minded and industrious he certainly was as is attested by the many voluminous well-ordered reports that he made on the state of the frontier provinces and also by the very tone of his letters as a first assistant to somebody else or even as ruler in a realm where there were no serious difficulties to encounter he would have been a marked success but as a leader in the frontier provinces of new spain he lacked the broad vision to compass the whole range of his duties while working hard to settle one problem he was apt to let the others take care of themselves or try to have somebody else handle them certainly as regards matters affecting northwestward advance in fine croix was a hard-working painstaking well-meaning but rather stupid man far from observing galvez's commands to visit sonora and alta california as soon as he could croix devoted himself to other things reaching mexico city in january seventeen seventy seven he remained there until august getting information about his new government and forming his plans as might have been expected from a man of his caliber he felt it incumbent upon him to devise something which would differentiate his policies from those of hugo o'connor and the viceroy the former prepared a long report for croix in two hundred and forty five paragraphs giving an account of his own work as commandant inspector since his appointment in seventeen seventy one and making a number of general recommendations in particular he urged that the presidios of horcasitas and buena vista be transferred to the colorado and gila rivers as bucareli had ordered and that the route to alta california be kept open he also made suggestions about fighting the apaches which showed his own understanding of the unity of the frontier croix paid small heed to this advice with the removal of a strong guiding hand from frontier affairs indian uprisings began to occur in sonora during croix's long residence in mexico city though they were by no means more serious character than o'connor and bucarelli had been wont to cope with successfully croix at once cast into discard the plan looking forward toward securing the northwest conquest the removal of the two presidios to the gila and colorado rivers was abandoned entailing also a postponement in establishing the missions for which the yumas were clamoring anza 
who had been appointed governor of New Mexico with a view to the explorations of new routes to Monterey, was detained by Croix and sent to Sonora to suppress the Ceres. Furthermore, Croix made impossible demands on Bucareli for 2,000 troops, and failing that, for the means with which to raise a 1,000. His own tendency to dodge responsibility appears in one of his letters to Galvis, in which he said that he certainly was not going to Sonora until he could have soldiers enough to overcome the evils from which that province was suffering. Yet, he said, he regarded the affairs of Sonora as his most important consideration, but precisely on that account he was going to Coahuila and Texas first. His explanation that this would permit his remaining in Sonora, once he arrived there, sounds rather lame in the light of his harrowing description of the existing situation. Not only did Bucareli have no authority to grant Croy such reinforcements as he asked for, but it was incomprehensible that the Commandant General should have expected them. The total number of troops in the frontier provinces was only about 2,000, and the addition of even a few hundreds would have been a matter for debate by the authorities in Spain, owing to the increase in expense it would involve. Bucareli did give Croy two companies of cavalry, but declined to grant him any more. Croy therefore complained to Galvez, but the minister-general inevitably sustained the viceroy. When Croy should obtain personal knowledge of the state of the frontier provinces, Galvez wrote to him, the king would determine how many soldiers were necessary. The implied rebuke struck home, and the question of reinforcements was dropped. In August 1777, Croix at length left Mexico City. Going by way of Querétaro and Durango, he proceeded to Coahuila and Texas. By March 1778, he had recrossed the Rio Grande and reached Chihuahua and Nueva Vizcaya. There, or in that vicinity, he remained for more than a year and a half. Not until November 1779 did he reach Sonora, and he never visited the Californias or even the region of the Gila and the Colorado. Not only had he failed to carry out Galvez's orders, but he had also become absorbed in the affairs of the northeastern frontier, which alone he knew, giving attention to the West so far as it bore upon the problem of Apache Wars, but not much otherwise. Meanwhile, what of Sonora, the Californias, and the security of the Anza route? Sonora itself had suffered little, if at all, from Croix's neglect. Anza reached Orcasitas in May 1777 and handled the situation with his customary energy and ability. He found the Ceres in rebellion and several other tribes on the verge of revolt. He put down the Ceres, and then the others decided to keep the peace. Apache incursions still took place, but he had not been expected to overcome that perennial evil. It is worthy of note, in the light of Croix's later bad treatment of Anza, that the Commandant-General referred to Anza's work in terms of the highest praise. In March 1778, the internal difficulties of Sonora were sufficiently well in hand so that Anza was able to join Croy at Chihuahua, whence he proceeded to his government in New Mexico. Arrived in New Mexico, he inflicted a decisive defeat on the Comanches, 
the most troublesome indians of that province in this battle which occurred in seventeen seventy nine the comanche chieftain was killed he was given no opportunity however to carry on the discoveries toward alta california which bucareli had intended he should make the californias suffered irreparable harm through croix's failure to make use of the anza route but in other respects the local situation was well handled in spite of croix's neglect as already mentioned bucareli had given orders late in seventeen seventy six providing for the needs of alta california fortunately too there was a man on the ground who was able to carry out the viceroy's plans and to act on his own initiative when occasion called this was felipe de neve greatest of the spanish governors of alta california as he came to the province from baja california he was able to inspect most of the territory under his command on his way to monterey which he reached in february seventeen seventy seven he soon made a trip to san francisco and thus at the outset acquired personal information of the whole range of his government having satisfied himself as to the needs of the province he lost no time in communicating his views to bucareli for he had not yet heard of the establishment of the commandancy general prior to neve's arrival the mission of san juan capistrano had been founded november seventeen seventy six and that of santa clara in january seventeen seventy seven neve proposed the addition of three more missions along the santa barbara channel together with a presidio he also wished to form civilian settlements pueblos on the santa ana san gabriel and guadalupe rivers and to increase the forces at san diego monterey and san francisco for these purposes he wanted fifty-seven fully equipped soldiers who should be recruited in sinaloa and should bring their families with them and sixty families of laborers including artisans of various kinds he also went into detail as to the equipment these recruits should have and the number and kinds of domestic animals to be procured in sonora that it would be desirable to send with them upon receipt of neve's suggestion together with letters from rivera and serra bucareli sent the correspondence to croix croix was at that time preparing to leave mexico city for the north and so returned the file to bucareli with a request that he attend to the matter this called forth a noteworthy reply from the viceroy dated august twenty seventh seventeen seventy seven it was not in the power of either croix or himself he reminded the former to change royal orders at will hence since the californias were in croix's jurisdiction he was sending back the papers he went on however to give croix information about the californias and tell him what he himself would do if still in charge neve's suggestion should be adopted even though they involved additional troops and more expense for these matters in bucareli's opinion should take precedence of others in croix's jurisdiction there should be additional missions too in both californias and along the colorado and gila rivers so that there might be no gaps in the chain of communication with sonora thus did bucareli reiterate the opinions he had long held about the importance of the californias and the anza route had a matter lain within his jurisdiction he would almost certainly already have taken the action which he now recommended to croix 
but under the circumstances he was powerless to do anything. His zeal for the royal service and his magnanimity were also most creditably displayed in the advice that he gave and in the courteous manner that he offered it. Unwilling to take immediate action on Bucareli's suggestions, Croy referred the matter to three Sonora officers and then hied himself off to Texas. Not until September 1778 did he get around to consider Neve's proposals again. In a letter to Galvez about the matter, he was petulant and lacking in sympathy with the subject. He complained of Bucareli's refusal to handle the Californias for him, but did not account for his own failure to adopt the suggestions of the viceroy. Anyway, he said, the more he read about the Californias, the greater was his own confusion of mind with respect to their affairs. Nevertheless, he had decided to approve Neves' projects, but he would wait until he got to Sonora before attending to them. So here was another matter that Croy had put off. But Felipe de Neve was not a man to do nothing while awaiting official authorization. So far as his resources would permit, he proceeded to put into effect the measures he deemed important. Croy's one merit in the management of the Californias lay in the fact that he approved of anything that the governor actually got done. In November 1777, Neve founded a settlement on the Guadalupe. Acting on his own initiative, without any mandate from Croy, he took 15 families from Monterey and San Francisco and made a beginning of the Pueblo which has since developed into the city of San Jose. He also started in to prepare a new reglamento for the Californias, basing his action on an order issued to Bucareli several years before by Julian de Arriaga. In a long report to Croy, Neve pointed out that Alta California soldiers were in fact receiving only 40% of the salary theoretically allotted them. Furthermore, they were being paid wholly in clothing, effects, and provisions at an advance to allow for costs of carriage of 150% beyond the prices charged in Mexico City. Thus, they were getting some 16% of what their full salary would have purchased in the capital of the Viceroyalty. The situation was rendered yet worse because the execution of the existing reglamento was even more defective than the law itself. Naturally, service in the province was not popular. Indeed, it was asking a great deal of these men merely to live in this far distant locality, away from the activities to which they had become accustomed in the regions from which they had come. Neve urged that his troops be given the same pay as the soldiers of other frontier provinces, and that some of it be in cash. Under those circumstances, he believed, the men would be contented, and others would be induced to come. Neve's memorial, making these, and indeed many other suggestions, crossed a letter from Croy asking him to draw up a reglamento. The governor therefore prepared the famous document, which is usually called by his name, completing it on June 1st, 1779. In this, he embodied the provisions of his earlier memorial to Croy, and in his remitting letter announced, characteristically, that he was putting his reglamento immediately into effect, subject to such later changes as Croy might make. The Neve instrument was eventually approved and was henceforth employed 
together with the earlier documents already mentioned, as the administrative basis for the government of the province during the remainder of the Spanish era. Meanwhile, Bucareli's influence had not been entirely removed from the Californias and San Blas. In 1776, prior to the establishment of the Commandancy General and before Bucareli seems to have known that it was contemplated, news came from Spain of English preparations to send out Captain James Cook on the third of his now well-known voyages to the Pacific. According to Spanish information, he was planning to visit the Californias with a view to opening up trade relations and was intent also on the discovery of a sea route between the Atlantic and the Pacific by what the English called the Northwest Passage, making an attempt for the first time, so far as the English were concerned, to accomplish the same by sailing from west to east. The Viceroy was ordered to take such precautions as might cause Cook to fail. Bucareli's reply, dated June 26, 1776, is one of the most important documents in the history of Spain's efforts along the northwest coast. It is also almost identical in spirit with his already mentioned letter of July 1773, notably in its lack of alarm, if also in its readiness, nevertheless, to take appropriate action. The remarkable activities of the Viceroy against possible foreign danger since 1773 have already been indicated. In all probability, he would have displayed a like energy and resourcefulness to forestall this new peril. Almost surely, he would have strengthened the Californias by developing the land route thereto. But under the circumstances, he had no authority to do so. By special enactment of the decree providing for the Commandancy General, the management of the supply ships had been left within the jurisdiction of the Viceroy. This difficult problem, Bucareli continued to handle with success during the remainder of his term. He was also ordered to take charge of a fresh series of voyages to the northwest coast. Overcoming such handicaps as those already mentioned in dealing with the affairs of San Blas, he equipped two ships which set sail from San Blas in February 1779. Ignacio Artiega and Juan de la Bodega, in command of these vessels, made a careful exploration of the Alaska coast and found neither Russians nor Englishmen, though there was in fact a Russian settlement on Kadiak Island which they barely missed. Upon their return, a royal order was issued in 1780 calling for a discontinuance of such voyages. Meanwhile, the great viceroy, Antonio Bucareli, had answered the last call. On October 9, 1779, after 14 years of service to the colonies, he died, still in harness and far away from his beloved Spain, to which for many years he had wished in vain to return. To the end, his career had been one of solid achievement with respect to those matters that had been left in his charge. For the Californias, he had been unable to do much after 1776, but he had already accomplished enough to entitle himself to lasting remembrance on the part of the Californians. He had saved Alta California from abandonment, and in so doing, quite unknown to himself to be sure, he had preserved that province and the Pacific coast for the ultimate occupation of the United States. The inevitable further result of his policies 
if he had been empowered to carry them out to the full, would have been to keep Alta California at least for the peoples of Hispanic race. Thus it is that if he helped the United States at, very likely, the expense of England, he was in no wise at fault before his own people for the failure to add yet another great area to the future domination of the Republican Hispanic America. Mexicans remember Bucareli, not indeed for his exploits in connection with Alta California, but for his high character and his achievements affecting regions now within the area of the Southern Republic. An important thoroughfare in the Mexican capital bears his name. Of far greater consequence is the fact that he was buried in the sacred church of Guadalupe, where he has a tablet commemorating his work. This place is to Mexicans all that Mecca is to Mohammedans, or Jerusalem to Christians in general. As many as 100,000 pilgrims have been known to visit it on a single day. In this great shrine, which associates itself with Mexican nationalism, with the Indians who resisted Cortes and the patriots who at length won independence, the grave of Bucareli is the sole reminder of Spanish domination. Truly, the memory of Bucareli will never be erased from the heart of Mexicans. Thus, has one of the greatest and best of the viceroys found a worthy resting place. And to Californians, the Church of Guadalupe should have a new significance. End of chapter 25